but you can have a seat. Welcome. For those of you that were still recovering last Sunday, I want to wish you a very happy new year. I'm glad you're with us this morning. This traditionally is our Vision Cast Sunday, where Doc lays out the plans for us as a church and as Christians in our communities. And so we are live casting this one to our campuses this morning. So I want to welcome in Chet and his team out at West Campus. Yes. Out in Elyria on Abbey Road. It's good to have you guys with us. And also Katie and her team at the, yes. At the corner of 64th and Memphis in Old Brooklyn. It's good to have you guys with us. Also, all of you listening from home this morning, or you snowbirds listening from a warmer location, I'm glad you're with us. I hope this service is a blessing to you and your families. So the new year gives us an opportunity to sort of reflect on where we've come, where we've come from, right? And also to think about where we're going. And as I take some time for reflection this time of year, there's things about my faith walk that are incredible blessings to me. But I want to share just one of them with you this morning. 20 years ago, Doc had a vision in his head to create a service for 20-somethings by 20-somethings. Some of you may have heard of it. Ultimately, we landed on the name Doxa, and it had a great run. Uh, the service lasted five, six, seven years maybe. It didn't last forever. But I can tell you the relationships that were formed during that time have lasted a lifetime. I had the incredible blessing of creating a group of guys in my life that are my guys, right? You, we've all got our people. And we have done life together for the last 20 years. And I can't see how without that opportunity for ministry to do hard things together, I don't see how we would have formed the relationships ultimately that we, form, that we formed. We are truly better together in our life. So next Sunday is our Better Together Sunday. It is going to be a huge event. We're going to have tables on Main Street. We've got group life all over going on. And so I encourage you to spend some time after service finding your group, your guys, your girls, your crew that you're going to do life with. Because truly, life is done better together. God created us with a need to be with each other. When the hard times come, when the good times come, no matter what it may be, you need that crew of support around you. I was lucky enough to find it at a young age, and I continue to find it as I do ministry here. There are faces in the crowd that I've done hard things with. Thank you for being a blessing in my life. I hope that next week you will spend some time to find a group and find those people that can be a blessing for you. Some of you have some Better Together t-shirts. Feel free to wear them next week. We will have Better Together t-shirts on sale on Main Street. Our t-shirt and merch supplier also has some sweatshirts direct for sale through We Bleed Ohio. You can find that link at the bottom of our website under Christ Church Merch. And now, without further ado, I want to welcome Dr. Dave Collings to the stage, our founding and lead pastor. Thank you, Jacob. Uh, old Brooklyn and uh, West, God bless you. It's so nice for us to be uh, doing service together today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Jesus said to us, 
that he is the light of the world. But sometimes we grow spiritually blind to the great light of Jesus Christ. And we need your spirit to move on our hearts in a new and fresh way. And so I invite your spirit to do his best work in our souls today. In Christ's name, amen. In John's Gospel, chapter 8, Jesus had a big debate with the religious leaders. And at one point, the religious leaders reached the epitome of their obnoxiousness, and they, they said to Jesus, we don't need you. We are the descendants of Abraham, and we don't need you. Jesus said, well, first of all, you're not the descendants of Abraham. If you were the descendants of Abraham, you would treat me the way Abraham treated me. Abraham saw my day and celebrated. And then the religious leaders really got annoyed. They started mocking him and saying, you are 50 years old. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones from the temple plaza to stone him. And Jesus walked away from them. I've been to the steps that lead up to the temple mount that Jesus probably entered and left the temple. And as he, he was going down these steps, inside of everything that had just happened, he noticed a man that many people had gr grown blind to because he was a blind beggar who sat there every week with a weaved basket and asked people to donate money. He was blind. He couldn't work. It was his only way of surviving. Even though Jesus had just been through an ugly, ugly moment, he walked down the steps and stood where there was a good view of the man, and his disciples said to Jesus, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? That question always annoys me. What is it about the human race that we feel inclined to blame the victim? What is it about us that we judge people by assumptions, uh, and assumptions that have very little to do with reality? They couldn't believe that there would be any reason for this man to be blind if his parents or he hadn't done something terrible. It was a biased. And you know what? That biased hasn't gone out of the world. I hear that implied in church all the time. Uh, uh, sometimes when we're helping needy people, 
I, I hear someone say, well, if they'd just get a job, they wouldn't have so many needs. How do you know they don't have a job? What made you assume that the people that we feed don't have jobs? Maybe you ought to assume that they have poor paying jobs and they can't make ends meet and it's not because they're not working, it's because they don't have in, any better skills and they have to work a job that doesn't pay very well. Why wouldn't we assume that maybe there was an illness in their life and they, didn't, they were underinsured and, and the, the, the bill just became more than they could pay? I don't want to be like the disciples and look at people who are in need and in trouble and assume that there's something wrong with them or they would never be in that condition. Church. I want to look at people's needs the way Christ looks at them. And Jesus said to his disciples, dude, you are way, way off. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He's in this condition so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus said, this man's need gives God a wonderful opportunity to show how good and gracious and loving and faithful he is. Jesus said, this man gives me an opportunity to show the world that I am the light of the world. I want us to be the kind of church that we see needs in people the very same way Christ see the, sees needs in people. Church, I want us to be just like Jesus Christ and say, because we recognize this need, it is an opportunity for us to glorify God by helping these people and meeting this need. Church, uh, when we see kids who have to be fed every weekend, I, I want to see those kids and say, this is an opportunity for this church to glorify Christ by feeding children. Can you hear me? When we do our food banks uh, at Old Brooklyn and at uh, West Campus, uh, everybody who pulls in for that box of food, I want us to see them the way Christ sees them and say this is an opportunity for us to bring the light of Christ into their life. Church. And then all the other ministries we do, the serve ministries, the, the helping, and all the other stuff we do all year. Every need is an opportunity for us as a church to say, we're going to do this in the kind of way that people will say, isn't Jesus Christ great? We're going to do it in the kind of the way that Jesus did it. The world got better one person at a time being around Jesus Christ. He couldn't heal every blind person in the world. But there was one blind person that he could heal, and he did. 
if we can't help everyone, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't help everyone we can help. And then Jesus shocked everyone. He knelt down on those dirty steps and he spit on the ground and he made a little mud. And he took his thumbs and scooped that mud up and smeared it on the guy's eyelids. And he said to him, I want you to go to the pool of Siloam and wash and you will see again. It's kind of an odd thing, isn't it? At first it's a little off-putting. Uh, but we should understand that in Christ's world, it, uh, people believed that uh, uh, saliva was uh, a, a form of medicine. There is an account in the historian Suetonius, uh, Suetonius of uh, a blind man coming to uh, the emperor Vespian and asking him to rub saliva on his eyes. Uh, and Suetonius did, says that uh, Vespian did and that uh, uh, the man saw more clearly. Uh, so in Christ's culture, saliva was very different than it is in our culture. Uh, uh, so don't see it the way you see it. See it the way they saw it in Christ's time. But it's still a little unusual to put mud on somebody's eyes when they're already blind. Uh, and as I uh, uh, studied this this week, uh, the best thing I read was um, Jesus put the mud on his face to convince him that he really needed to go to the pool and wash his face. Uh, it just made it easier to convince him to go wash in the pool than to him just to have said, Go wash in the pool and, you're, and you will be clean. Through the Holy Spirit, God sometimes says, you got mud on your eyes. Through the Holy Spirit, God says to us sometimes, you're just not seeing things as clearly as you ought to see them. I want you to wash. I want you to go to the pool. I want you to let God have a new opportunity in your life. Is it possible, is it possible that this blind man represents all of us this morning? Is it possible that over time we grow spiritually blind and we start taking holy things for granted. And we need Christ to show up in our lives. We need to put him to put a little mud on our lives. We need, him to hear, we need to hear him say, wash, and you're gonna see things differently. You're gonna see things more clearly. You're gonna see things the way I want you to see them. And so the man went to the pool, he washed, and he could see again. And the first impulse of his heart when he could see again was to race back to the temple where he had seen Jesus. Well, when he got back there, people started noticing him. And somebody said, hey, 
are you the guy who used to be blind and sit here and beg? And he goes, yeah, I am. And uh, another group of people said, it's not him, it's somebody like him. And the guy said, no, no, I'm the guy. And people said to him, well, how did you come to see again? And he said, I was sitting over here where I, I always sat, and a man named Jesus walked over to me He made some mud. He put it on my eyes. He said, go to the pool and wash. I went and washed, and now I see again. And so everybody said, well, where is he? And the man said, I don't know. When I put myself in that man's place, he was born blind. He had never seen once in his entire life. But everything he saw that day was new. You get it? Everything he saw, he saw for the first time. He saw the pool for the first time. He saw the the streets that he had tapped his way around blindly for the first time. He saw people whose voices he recognized for the first time. He saw the temple steps for the first time. Everything he saw that day, he saw for the first time and in a fresh way. Do you know, I believe something good could happen if we could see the world in a fresh way. Instead of seeing it again and again through our same old bias, our same old assumptions, our our, our same old prejudices, if God would grant us a renewing of heart and we could start looking around and seeing the world in a different and better way. Church, what might happen if we started noticing what is best about people before we notice what is worst about them? What might happen if we saw the potential people have more than we see uh, uh, their deficits? What might happen if we started looking at people and saying this is a person that God genuinely loves, he genuinely cares for, they are important to him, and how I treat them matters. Church, we get spiritually blind, and it makes us look at the world through a whole bunch of bad assumptions. And Christ is saying to us today, I want to change the way you see things. That man captured people's attention. When God does something good, it captures people's attention. You know, our greatest proof of God in the world is that he changes us and makes us better people. You want the greatest proof that God is alive and well? The proof is your life. If God is at work in you, and you see the life of Christ, you care about the things God cares about, you're living a life that is directed by God, people see that and pay attention to it because it's different than what they normally see in life. The the healed man had a story to tell. He simply told his story. If you know Christ, you have a story to tell, church. God has done something good for you. Maybe it's not as dramatic as this blind man being healed, but everyone who knows Christ 
has to say, there have been times in my life when Christ did something beautiful in my life. We all have a story to tell. As a church, as a church in uh, three locations, we have a story to tell. God has done miracles in this church. God has done miraculous things. Uh, 41 years ago, uh, we were uh, 25 people huddled together in a little building in Parma. And over 41 years, God has shown up again and again and again and again. He's rubbed a little mud on our eyes and said, wash your face. And we've seen things differently, and we've acted differently, and God has glorified his name again and again. And it is my belief that the same God who got us where we are is going to take us places beyond what we are imagining. And then the story takes a sad twist. There were some people that were just a little too religious. And they took a hold of the man who had been healed. And they said, we're taking you to the Pharisees. And they walked that man to where the Pharisees had gathered together. And the Pharisees said, all right, tell us your story. So the man said again, I was sitting on the steps. Jesus came over. He made some mud. He put it on my eyes. I went to the pool and washed, and now I see again. And the very first thing the Pharisees did was discount the miracle of him getting his eyesight back, and all they could think of was, Jesus broke the rules. He made mud on the Sabbath. They were so blind to the wonder of the miracle that all they could see is, by their rules, Jesus had done something terrible when he, when he made mud and put it on that guy's eyes. They were so critical, they missed the beauty of the moment. I find it fascinating that the Pharisees made it their business to examine the healed man. Why couldn't they just celebrate? Why, why does there have to be a, a court of inquest? Isn't it still true, though, in the church, if we're not careful, instead of being people who work with God in doing good, we become the people who have to examine and critique everything. Church, those Pharisees didn't do anything to help that man. Nothing. But as soon as they could, they began to critique Jesus and say, he, can't, he has to be a sinner. He made mud on Sunday, on the Sabbath. You know, that spirit still is alive in Christianity. Church, can you hear me? That spirit is still alive in Christianity, and it isn't healthy. And I want every one of us to take a good look in the mirror and say, what side of the line am I on? Am I on the side of the line that says it's more important 
to help those like this blind man or am I on the side that says we have rules and we have, we have restrictions and we have ways that it has to be done and if you don't do it our way, it's unacceptable. Can you hear me, church? God did not send us into the world to condemn the world. He sent us into the world to save the world. Church, there isn't anybody who's going to do it perfectly here. Do you say, does the church make mistakes? Yes, we do. We make mistakes all the time. But guess what? I would rather make a mistake trying my hardest to do something with God than to be in the group that does nothing but criticize those who are trying. Church? The Pharisee says, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Thank God there were some sane Pharisees who said, not so fast. Not so fast. If this man were a sinner, how could he do this? Church, I want to share this little insight with you. Christians who are trying are very, very different than other people because at least we're trying to do something good. Can you hear this? The church gets criticized all the time. You're a bunch of hypocrites. You do this. You don't do that. All this criticism. Listen, if God hadn't done something good in our hearts, we wouldn't be trying to do this. We would be doing other stuff. If God hadn't done something awesome in my heart, I would be out making money. I wouldn't be standing here this morning. Church, can you hear me? The very evidence that God is at work to do beautiful things in the world is there are people like you who are trying to serve God and make a difference in the world when you could be doing any other number of things. But because of who Christ is to you, you have it in your heart to be on his side and even try to do something, even if we can't do it perfectly. And this gets us to the, the core of what I want to say. I want to ask myself, is it possible that over time I've let myself grow spiritually blind? Is it possible? Would you, would you ask yourself that question with me? Would you ask yourself, have I grown spiritually blind to the excellence of Christ? What do I mean by that? Are you still fascinated by Jesus Christ? Is there something about Jesus Christ that is radically interesting to you? When you think about Jesus Christ, do you try to think about a being, a person who's infinite in being and perfection? Or do you just think, yeah, Jesus? When you think about Jesus Christ, do you think about one who is wise and noble and good? And he's so wise and so noble and good that you find you want to be around him more. When you think about Christ, do you see his grace, his mercy, and his peace? 
When you, see, when you think about Jesus Christ, do you see his love, his forgiveness, and his patience? Have you grown spiritually blind to the majesty of Jesus Christ so you just don't see him in his awesomeness and he's just not compelling to you the way he once was? When you see Jesus Christ, can you see someone whose mercy is greater than your misery? When you see Jesus Christ, do you see someone who wasn't drawn to the rich and the famous? He was drawn to the need of a blind beggar. What was it that drew his heart? It wasn't the power of the Pharisees. It wasn't the perfection of the chief priest. It wasn't the power of the Romans. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't the people who were making money in the uh, selling of sheep and goats in the temple. What drew Christ's attention was the need of one single broken life. Have you grown spiritually blind that Christ is attracted to what is most broken about you and his heart's desire is filled to grant you grace, to heal you, to restore you, to renew you. Church, you see, we share Christ best when we see Christ best. Those who share Christ best are the ones who see him best in their hearts. I'm asking us as a church to recommit ourselves to demonstrating the excellence of Christ in all we do. I'm asking us to one more time move it to the front of our agenda that we're going to demonstrate the excellence of Christ in everything we do. We're going to see Christ more clearly than we've ever saw him. We're going to speak about him more lovingly than we've ever spoken about him. Church, you see, when you see Christ clearly, it's easy to talk about him. Do you get it? When Christ is beautiful to you, when you feel his majesty, when you are impressed by his love and his kindness, you just find yourself talking about him. When you're not impressed with him, when he's grown dull to you, when it isn't compelling and interesting to you, it is almost impossible to speak about Christ. I wonder if we've grown spiritually blind to the joy of ministry. Would you ask yourself, was there a time in my life when I enjoyed serving Christ more than I do right now? Some of you, some of you once served Christ. It was a meaningful part of your life. It affected how you organized your week. But somehow or another, that slipped. And now serving Christ doesn't show up on your agenda. It doesn't show up on your weekly calendar. You don't feel any earnestness about it. Church, have you grown spiritually blind to the joy of ministry? Do you know your spiritual gift? Can you hear the divine invitation? Can you hear the Spirit right 
offering to you, your life would be richer if you found a place to serve. Have you lost the joy of serving Christ? I mean, the thing you looked forward to. It was a joyful part of your life. Church, see, it's hard to serve joyfully when I don't have any joy. It's hard for me to share joy with others when my heart is empty of it. But when I am feeling the light of Jesus Christ, and I'm finding genuine joy in doing things with him and seeing things happen and, and serving people, it becomes really easy for me to share that joy. Would you let Christ open your eyes to see serving in a new and beautiful way? Some of you need to return to serving Christ joyfully. Some of you need to volunteer to do it for the very first time in your life. As a church, let's fully engage in the joy of ministry. I don't want you to work somewhere. I don't want you to have a job in the church you hate. I don't want you to go, oh, brother, I got to go do that. I want it just to be the opposite. I want something in the life of Christ bubbling up within you, and you say, I'm really looking forward to doing this. Find a place to serve that you enjoy, and you can share joy with others. Have you grown spiritually blind to the adventure of faith? Yes, I'm going to ask you this question again. Have you let your life become boring? Have you slid into a weekly routine and your life, if you were absolutely honest, is boring? You're living in the, in the middle of your comfort zone and there's nothing edgy about your life. Can you point to one thing in your life right now that you will absolutely fail at if God doesn't help you? Church? See, we grow spiritually blind to the adventure of faith. When was the last time you tried something that you knew was too hard for you? And it made you seek God for help diligently. Church, we grow spiritually blind to the adventure of faith and our lives slip into a, a routine, a tedious boredom where one day becomes a ugly replica of the day before it and the day before that and the day before that. And Christ has something so much better. Christ has something so much more beautiful, so much more rich. Will you exercise faith? Will you grow spiritually? Will you say to Christ, I'm ready to go on an adventure with you, and I'm ready to try something that's too hard for me? As a church, let's have the best year of group life we've ever had. If you're not in a group, join a group. Let's have the best year of spiritual development we've ever had. 
Let's encourage each other. Let's inspire each other. Let's, let's stimulate each other to faith and well-doing. Let's do what we have a tradition of doing, and this year, one more time, let's commit ourselves to do hard things with Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, God has enough churches that will do the easy stuff. He's got enough churches that will play in the easy games. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of those who will try hard things with him. Have we grown spiritually blind to the lifestyle of generosity? Have you ever defined generosity for yourself? Have you ever looked at your life and say, God has blessed me in these ways, and so generosity for me has to look like this? You see? You say, well, give me an example, all right? Here's an example. Uh, some of you can fix anything. You can fix anything. Uh, what if you define generosity as, uh, I'll be on a team that helps widows when they have stuff broken at their house. I'm going to generously give this talent away and when the church has widows who need help I'm going to be generous in helping them church see that's a generosity I don't have uh, uh, keep me away from uh, 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 I can't be generous in that area because I don't have the, the, the ability I can change a light bulb I'm pretty good at changing light bulbs okay what about this? You know children matter to this church. We believe we can make a better world, but we have to, we have to treat children right. Church, what if generosity meant for you, you give one hour a week to make sure kids come into this building and they feel loved. They feel somebody pays attention to them. Somebody cares about them. What if you're generous enough to make it the best hour of some kid's week because you just generously give yourself away in the service of them? Church, some of you are very blessed economically. You need to define what generosity means for you. You say, where do I start? The Bible has this idea of tithing. Uh, the church didn't invent the word tithe. It's used in the Bible, I think, 39 times. It's God saying, here's a good idea to start defining what generosity looks like. Looks like 10%. God says, go into business with me. You keep 90% of the business, you share 10% with me. Church, can you hear this? Have you grown blind? Have you grown spiritually blind? The true generosity. Could I ask you, do you really believe the teaching of Jesus Christ? Do you really believe it? Because listen to what he says in Luke. Give and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, 
uh, it will be measured back to you. Do you believe that? Do you honestly believe that God will never let you outgive him? Or have you grown blind to the riches of his grace? Have you grown blind to his faithfulness so you feel like if I give too much, I'll be left hanging? I'm telling you, if you can't trust Christ with a few bucks, you better wonder if you're trusting him with your eternal soul. Church, um, have we grown blind? Have we grown blind to the, 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 the wonder of a lifestyle of generosity? I know some of you haven't. Our Christmas offering is going to cover all our food uh, program for the entire year. Church, here's what I'm saying to us today. I'm saying, let's say to Christ, oh, Lord Jesus Christ, would you put a little mud on my eyes? Would you send me to the pool? And when I wash my face, would you please help me to see better than I have been seeing? Would you please open my eyes to see the excellence of Christ better than I've ever seen it? Would you please open my eyes to see the real joy of ministry? Would you please open my eyes and I can see the adventure of faith and, be, and feel compelled by it? Would you please open my eyes and I can begin to see the wisdom of a lifestyle of generosity. Dear Heavenly Father, would you please lead me out of the criticism of the Pharisees and into the healing grace of Jesus Christ. Dear God, could we be the best church this year that we've ever been so people can see the light of Christ and glorify his name in heaven. Our dear Heavenly Father, I call upon you. I turn to you in hope. I seek your face. I find I want a renewal. I want to see better than I've ever seen. I want to go to the pool. I want to wash my face. I want to start looking around and seeing things the way you see them. I want my ugly spirit to pass away. I want my critical spirit to pass away. I want to see myself as Christ's partner in doing good wherever he sends me. Father, I want to ask for this church. I pray that we could serve you better this year than we've ever served you. I pray that we could meet more needs than we've ever met. I pray that we could be more loving than we've ever been. I pray that we could accomplish everything that it's in your heart for our church to accomplish this year. And then I pray that you would, you would, you would whisper to our hearts, uh, what a delight it is for you to work in us and through us in the world. In Christ's name, amen.